0: Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 4. A few years ago, a psychologist rigged a debate on a college campus between a truck driver and a college professor. The truck driver was was dressed in his uh, flannel shirt and, and blue jeans. He used poor grammar and simple words, but spoke with flawless logic and truth. The college professor was dressed in his suit. He spoke eloquently using big words and perfect grammar, but his logic was hopelessly flawed, and the things he said were untrue. All was pre-planned. The psychologist was doing research in the way people make decisions and whom they choose to believe. And he polled the audience after the debate to see who they thought won. Overwhelmingly, The audience said the professor won the debate. Well, you and I, if we're not careful, can be like that audience in a rigged debate. The world around us has many voices clamoring for our attention, saying, I am proclaiming truth. And we have to be careful because we, like that college audience, can easily judge whom we believe and whom we follow on the wrong basis, the flashiness of the appeal or the status of the person who is speaking rather than on the basis of truth. God loves us. He wants us to know that which is true. And so he's given us his word that we might be informed. Now, one assumption that pervades Western culture that gets a lot of us into trouble is the idea that man is innately good. This idea goes all the way back to Socrates. He taught that man is good. If you simply present truth to man, he will embrace it. Ignorance is his only real problem. Once he sees the truth, he will know it. And this idea is not just Western and Chinese philosophy. The ancient Confucian philosopher Mincius taught the same thing. And if we believe this, then then we can follow anybody who is thoughtful in his approach to life. But look at Ephesians 4 at how different Scripture's evaluation of man is. Let's read verses 17 through 19 to begin with. Paul says, So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking, They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity with a continual lust for more. Paul speaks to us, he says in verse 17, in the Lord. In other words, he comes to us as one of Christ's apostles, one who is invested with authority, speaking truth to us. And he warns us that the world around is not neutral. It's not innately good. It's not truth-seeking. He says they are darkened in their understanding. And I don't care who the person is. He may have a PhD. He may be a millionaire through his uh, movie makings or his real estate investments. He may... Uh, be a psychologist and write a best-selling book like How to Pull Your Own Strings. But those apart from Christ don't know truth. Paul says they walk, they live in the futility of their thinking. Because they don't know truth, they see all of life in a blur. And yes, they get some things right, of course, but they get many things wrong. Furthermore, he says, they are darkened in their understanding. They don't understand what life is really all about. Their values are, are twisted. Their outlook is distorted. And not only is it a mental problem, but those apart from Christ are missing a dynamic of life, a power. He says also in verse 18, they are separated from the life of God. God has intended for us to live according to his wisdom and according to the power of the Holy Spirit within us. And those apart from Christ don't know either. He says they are, they are dark in understanding, separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them. And this ignorance is not happenstance. It doesn't. It's not because some people are just born religious and some are not. Rather, their ignorance, he says, is due to their hardness of heart, God has revealed himself clearly to all men through nature, through the conscience. But many people have rejected God's revelation and have become hard-hearted. And their minds and their consciences become twisted and distorted. And he says, having lost all sensitivity, their conscience being, being insensitive to that which is truth, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity with a continual lust for more. We see that in our world today. We see those who have who have rejected God, who have oriented themselves toward sensuality, and we see the rise of, of uh, adultery and, and incest and homosexuality and pornography, and we accept it into our homes and the TV screens and the movie theaters and, and the radio. Paul's point here, and get this, in verse 17, that you no longer live as the Gentiles do, as a non-Christian world. He wants us as Christians to not be naive. I know uh, one Christian brother who was having some trouble in his marriage. He went to a psychiatrist. The psychiatrist said to him, what you need to do to help your marriage is to have an affair because of the conflict, his uh, wife were were uh, not having a, their sexual relationship, and he said to reduce that tension, you need to have an affair. Well, it sounds plausible if you don't think about it too much. If you think of, of sex as just a physical gratification that needs to be, you know, if your wife doesn't cook dinner for you, you go out to McDonald's. If that's all it is, then it makes sense. But we know... From the from God's word, that it's more than that, and that that's a good way to tear apart your marriage. To go find somebody else who will love you and understand you and show you show you warmth. The man was a was a very intelligent man, a psychiatrist, and yet he was darkened in his understanding and, and did not know truth. I know another couple, a Christian couple, who was having trouble in their marriage. They went to a psychologist, and he said, "You are both very nice people. You." Uh, you're wonderful, but you just don't fit. Uh, hydrogen is, is, a, is a good chemical. Chloride is a good chemical. You put them together, you get hydrochloric acid. And that's the way you two are. Apart, separately, you're wonderful, put together, and it's just poison. And what you need to do is divorce and find somebody else you fit with. Well, the man thought this was a good good advice, and he's pursued this. He, the psychologist, though, is alienated from the life of God. He doesn't know the Holy Spirit. He doesn't know the miracles that God can do to transform two people, no matter how different they are, no matter how big the conflicts, to bring them back together. And so right now, following this advice, their lives are being torn apart. They're both miserable. Their children are are confused because they don't understand what's happening in their, their parents' life and the ugliness that's taking place between them. Another way that I'm concerned personally is uh, about the darkness of the non-Christian world is in some of the values promoted through the pop youth culture. My son is only eight, but he's starting to pick up on, uh, get real interested in Michael Jackson and all this jiving. And uh, somebody, a friend, uh, uh, loaned him a tape of Footloose. And he really liked the... uh, the song Dancing in the Sheets. I don't know if you're familiar with that, but I'm not going to go into it. <laughs> he is not discerning. He doesn't realize that these kinds of values, uh, the values that are being taught are perverted. And, and uh, so we had to sit down and have a good talk about the promotion of seduction and sensuality through the youth culture. Well, he still is very intrigued with all this and wants to know why certain movies are PG and why he can't go to them. So we've, set, we've begun a, a study in Proverbs, the two of us, to try to, to uh, teach him some wisdom, which he's, he needs right now. But many of us as adults need it just as much. And Paul's point right here is don't be naive. It's not that all psychiatrists and psychologists are, are wrong and are, are uh, going to try to get you into adultery. But he says, don't walk as they walk. Don't live as they live. Don't take your cues as to how you should live from the non-Christian world around you. Be enlightened enough to realize that this world is living in darkness. and We need to instead find the truth. Paul says in verse 20, You, however, did not come to know Christ that way. Surely you have heard of him and were taught in him according to the with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. It says there's a different way of life instead of sensual self-indulgent, and darkness of mind. There's a different way of life, the way of the new life in Christ. And he says here there are three components. Verse 22, to put off the old life. Verse 23, be renewed in the attitude of your mind. Verse 24, to put on the new life. Let's examine these one at a time. He says the first step in living this new life is to put off the old life the old self the old man what you used to be this is simply saying no when when the desires start to come up the temptations rise within you simply say no that's not me i'm not going to do it and he tells us two reasons why we shouldn't he says with regard to your former manner of life this is not you anymore if you're a christian Christianity is, is not just putting an attractive wallpaper on a crumbling wall and pretending that it's sound. Christianity is the recreation of the inner man, the making of us new. And many people say, I just have to be me. I just have to do it. And I've heard heard people, uh, man, men who will say, uh, I can't stay with my family anymore. I have to be me. I have to break out. I'm in... Mean, in bonds of restriction through this all this responsibility. Paul says, okay, be you. That's your former life. That's not you anymore. Be you. Be who you are in Christ. That's his first uh, appeal to us to live according to the, the new life, to put off the old life. The second appeal to put off the old life, he says, is that it is being corrupted by its deceitful lust. You don't want the old life. The end result is corruption. And my favorite illustration of this is a, uh, uh, one of Michelangelo's pictures on the Sistine Chapel ceiling in Rome. And in one single section, he has two pictures next to one another that form a single panel. And in one picture, you see the, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and the serpent w- winding around it with uh, the forbidden fruit in his mouth. And Eve reaching up, and if you know your, the biblical story, the, the serpent is saying, "God uh, told you not to eat this fruit, but you won't die. You'll become like God." He reaches out and says, "If you do it, you will have life." And then the next scene, the same picture, you see the the angel of the Lord with a with a uh, flaming sword in his hand. Chasing Adam and Eve out of the Garden of Eden. Paul says, the old life is being corrupted through the lusts of deceit. They're deceitful because they promise life just like the serpent in that tree. But they always bring death just like the chasing out of the Garden. God wants to give us life. He's not out to cramp our style. He's not out to restrict our enjoyment. He's out to to bring us fulfillment. But lusts say, no, go my way, and you'll have real fulfillment. But they're deceitful, they're liars, and they always bring death. So Paul says, put off the old life. It'll bring death. It's your former life. It's not you anymore. This negative is not enough. He adds two two positive things we're to do. In verse 23, he said that we're to be made new, to be renewed in the attitude of our mind. This means that we need a consistent intake from God's Word. Now, does it mean just Bible study because he's not talking just about knowledge? Memorize the list of of, uh, kings of Judah and and Israel. Well, that's not going to do you any good in your spiritual life. It's nice to understand the Old Testament, but it's not going to directly help you in your spiritual life. He says be renewed in the attitude of your mind. What we need is a new outlook, a new attitude, a new understanding of life. We need to take the scriptures and assimilate them into our lives so that we can begin living them. That's what he's talking about. The world around us is constantly pumping us with information through television, radio, movies, newspapers, magazines, movies, Information based upon a wrong perspective. Now, it's not that everything we hear is downright evil. It's not. But everything we hear from this worldly perspective contains the pernicious lie that God is irrelevant. You read uh, uh, Red Book Magazine or Time Magazine. And you get the idea God is irrelevant. He doesn't make any difference. That's not important. That's not that these are uh, should be forsaken. We can, we can read them properly. But they contain within that that lie. You watch television night after night and you're told the important things have nothing to do with God in life. And then we do get some downright lies. We're told that your mannishness depends upon the kind of cigarette you smoke. Or... Your womanliness womanliness and value as a person depends upon what you look like in a swimming suit this summer. We need to be renewed in our mind. We need to gain the proper perspective through the scriptures. But be aware that our culture is pulling us away from that. Uh, There's so many options available to us. And it's hard when, when you want to spend 10 hours in front of the television set because there's a new mini-series on or the NBA finals are on. And you just don't have time for this. It's hard when you're always bouncing around from the latest uh, fishing place to the latest movie to the latest uh, record, whatever it is, the latest restaurant to eat at. You never have time to sit and study and meditate and pray upon God's word. But if you're wise, you'll take the time to find out what is true. The book of Proverbs says that God's wisdom is more precious than silver and gold because it gives us the way to life. Paul said there's a third step in living this new life of the truth as it is in Jesus. He says in verse 24, to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. We put off the old life, we put on the new life. We take steps, we choose, we make choices to to do that which is right. We we seek to make Jesus the pattern and the power for our lives. And notice that the, the old life is being corrupted by its deceitful desires. The new life is created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Righteousness just means being what we ought to be. God's desire, again, is not to to cramp our style, to restrict us, but to fulfill us. Now, this is important because I'm sure in an audience of this size, there's some here this morning who are saying to yourself, you're weighing, you're making the choices. Which way do I go? The old life looks awfully appealing. There are a lot of pleasures in doing it, and you you have the uh, the lies of the devil coming in the mind, saying God just like he did to Eve, did God say you can't eat of that tree? God's a killjoy. He wants to ruin things. And here we have the apostle telling us the truth. God's not out to kill the joy in your life. He's out to fulfill you. And we need to make a choice. Which way do we go? Paul says, Don't live as the Gentiles live in the futility of their minds, but rather live according to life in Christ. Well, you may ask, that sounds all nice. That sounds very abstract and theological, but what does it mean? What what does it mean in practical terms to put to death the old man, to to, uh, put on the new man? Well, in verses 25 to 32, Paul gives us a number of examples. And these examples, for the most part, take the form of put off and put on. Let's take them one at a time. First of all, verse 25. He says, Therefore, each one of you uh, must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to his neighbor, for we are all members of one body. Put off falsehood, put on truth. And then there's a reason given because we're all members of one body. As John Donne put it, no man is an island entire unto himself. The root of lying is selfishness, self-centeredness. The only thing that matters is, is me. But once we grasp the fact that we are interrelated in our lives, my life affects you, your life affects me, and we pursue the greater good of others, not just self, then we, we're willing to tell the truth. Now, you may say at this point, well, I don't lie. Don't you? How about when somebody says to you, how are you doing? Now, I'm not just saying the person who passes by and they don't really want to know. But but sometime when your Christian brother or sister comes and says, how are you doing? You don't really want to tell them, do you? So you say, oh, just fine. But really, you know that's not true. You know if you're truthful, what you would really say is, I'm glad you asked. I need help. I just feel so discouraged. I need you to pray for me. Give me a word of encouragement. Or, I am struggling so much. I'm so tempted at work to forsake God. Would, can you give me some help? Some support? Think of the times when my wife asked me, are you angry about something? Are you resentful about something I did? Well, as a typical male, my natural response always is to say no. No. Whether it's true or not, because I'm afraid to to uh, have my emotions exposed. But that's a lie. And as long as I say no, then I can make no progress, and we can make no progress. There's uh, conflicts or and problems are unresolved. But thankfully, the Lord's given me a wife who's who loves me enough and is skillful enough to help me to get past that. And as she probes and as as the truth comes out, then we can deal with. Problems that need to be worked on. Deceitful lusts appeal to you, and they say, Say anything you can to cover up your wrong and to get ahead. The most important thing is you and you alone. Lie if you have to, but get ahead. The truth appeals to us, and the truth says, Honesty is the best policy. We are members of one another. Lying leads to irresponsibility and selfishness, which produces death and frustration ultimately. Let's look at the next example, verses 26 and 27. Paul says, In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. Now, notice that there's the assumption that we will be angry. Even though we're Christians, we're still humans. And Christianity doesn't mean that we go around with a plastic smile on our faces always and say, nothing bothers me. We do get angry. But Paul's appeal to us is deal with that anger quickly. He, he says, before the sun goes down. Now, some uh, clever pharisaical people say, well, get angry at 10 o'clock at night, then you have a whole day before the sun goes down. Paul's point is to do it quickly, to solve that anger, to deal with it, to solve the conflict that comes up. Because, he says, uh, do not give the devil a foothold. As we nurse our anger, as we let it develop into interpersonal conflict and tensions, then it's like saying to the devil, okay, come in. You can have a foothold in my life. And he gladly comes in and exploits it and develops it further and conflict spreads. What Paul is saying is put off the anger. Put off the conflict. Put off that silent treatment that you give to your husband. Silent treatment never solves conflict. Put off nursing those negative thoughts. You know, as you say to yourself, oh, it's so wrong of him to do that. Why did he say that to me? He shouldn't have done it. I don't deserve it. And the more you say, the the worse it gets. Paul says, deal with it quickly. Put it away. Realize that you're in a very vulnerable position. The devil is waiting like a lion about to, to pounce upon you. Just waiting for you to get worked up in that anger over that situation. That he might exploit the situation for all it's worth. The anger might come in a relationship in your job. It will certainly come in your family life. I don't think there's a day that goes by when there's not some situation between me and my wife or me and my children in which there's not the, pot- the potential for anger and uh, conflict over some situation or numerous ones. It may come in a, a mission uh, field. Tom Brown told me last week that when he was in North Africa recently, the mission team there was had, uh, had just had a period of a lot of conflict, tension and anger and misunderstanding. And they had to have a, a time of reconciliation and of forgiving one another because the devil likes to exploit all of the, those things which naturally comes. Deceitful lust says to you, get revenge. Revenge is sweet. And it says don't stoop so low as to be the first one to say that you're sorry. It says that stupid thing that was in the movie Love Story, love never, love means never having to say you're sorry, which is idiotic. <laughs> truth, truth says recognize your vulnerability. Deal with your conflicts immediately. Deal with that anger. Don't, Don't feed it. Work it out. And come to some resolution in your mind and in your relationships. In verse 28, we see the next uh, instruction about the new life in Christ. He who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with his own hands that he may have something to share with those in need. Put off stealing... Put on honest work and sharing. Put off all that stealing, whether it's armed robbery, or whether it's it's uh, napping on the job when the boss is not looking, or taking extra long coffee breaks as long as nobody's watching you, or cheating on your on your income tax, or pilfering uh, stamps and pencils from your com- company when the when uh, nobody's seeing. Whatever the stealing is, put it off. But recognize that it's not enough to just Put off the stealing. There are plenty of people who don't steal, but are just as selfish as thieves. He said, What you must do is put on honest work, and honest work sufficient that you have to give to those in need. It's not enough to be honestly selfish. God's goal for us is to make us selfless, to make us giving and sharing. I have met people who have said, I only work 20 hours a week, I can get enough money for myself to live on, and I don't care about anything else. I spend the rest of the time relaxing, enjoying life. Because they're completely self-centered. They don't want to make any extra. They have no thought whatsoever of other people in need. There are other people who work plenty, 40, 50, 60 hours a week, but still don't give to anybody else. Because the more they work, the more their expectations rise. The bigger house, the better car, the the uh, finer toys and gadgets. God's intention for us is that we don't just is that we put off stealing and we put on giving. Give to those in need, whether directly through the fellowship fund, as you give to the church and your offerings. You're giving to those in need, as to help help the church corporately meet the spiritual needs of hungry people. And as you give to missionaries like the Levitts, you're helping to, to reach YY and Trio Indians in, in uh, Suriname, meeting their spiritual needs. Now notice in passing also that Paul gives dignity to work and to physical manual labor. He says, do honest work, uh, something with your own hands. The Greeks despised physical labor. Manual labor is for slaves only. And we see sometimes this in our culture. Uh, Somebody loses a job, another job's offered, but, you know, I'm not going to dirty my hands. I'm going to just, I'm going to wait and feel sorry for myself or something. Paul says any work is, is, is good. It's dignified. So whatever you can find to do, do it. We see the next instruction in verse 29. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to the needs that it may benefit those who listen. Now one problem we have with this is that we limit unwholesome speech. And the things that first come to our mind are cursing and dirty jokes. Cut out the cursing and the dirty jokes. But let me tell you, there are a lot more Uh, unwholesome words than just those. I think it's a tragedy when Christian people take TV sitcoms as their pattern for interpersonal relationships. Let me tell you a few more kinds of unwholesome speech. Sarcasm, putting people down, roasting a friend, uh, gossip, slander, all these are dirty speech as well. Just as bad as the dirty joke. Probably worse. Paul says to put them off. Don't let any unwholesome speech come out of your mouth. Let me give you just a few suggestions on interpersonal relationships. I could speak all day on that if I had a chance, because it's so important. But one is never assassinate somebody else's character. You remember the old childhood chant: "Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me." That, my friends, is a lie. It's something made up by some mother who, uh, who was uncomfortable with her child's tears and told him that. Sticks and stones might break my bones, words will never hurt me. The truth is, sticks and stones can only break my bones, but words can hurt forever. I remember one time being devastated when somebody said to me, you're so insensitive and you will never change. I would gladly have had a karate kick in the shins instead. If you want to, parents, if you want to ruin your child, just try a couple of comments like, you are so lazy, you will never amount to anything. That ought to be enough to do them in for a couple of years. Or say to your spouse, you're so bitchy, why did I ever marry you? That'll destroy your spouse. Paul says, let no unwholesome words come out of your mouth don't assassinate anyone else's character a second suggestion I'd make is don't use sarcasm uh, in your humor it's funny on television but it's not funny in real life and don't make your pattern of, of cleverness uh, don't pattern your cleverness after that on television it'll devastate you and other people a, uh, Rick Mattoon shared with me at uh growth group meeting this last week, time when he was at work and his, his supervisor was being sarcastic, and he gave back a retort and it ended up with her being in tears. now he didn't add, but I know he's not working for anymore I don't know if there's any relationship." <laughs> he says there's no relationship, but, but it can be. Or how about the time when, when the, the husband makes some sarcastic comment and the wife is left in tears and he says, "Oh, I was just kidding." Why make such a big deal about it? Well that's about as as sensible as taking a blowgun with poisoned darts and and at somebody and then as they curl up say, "Oh, I was just kidding. Why make such a big deal about it?" Words hurt. Choose your words carefully. A third suggestion, if you must criticize, bathe your criticism with kindness. This last 2 years in Singapore Uh, Micah has had two different teachers. Miss Hannah had good high standards and made the children uh, toe the line, but she had lots of words of praise and kindness. And Micah loved her and thrived in the class. This last year, his other teacher, Mrs. Lim, had nothing but criticism. You can do better than that. Don't come to me showing me that kind of paper. Over and over. And he was reduced to tears, just devastated by words. I went in finally and talked to her and she said to me, well, I don't do anything wrong to the children, and I would never strike one of them. And I talked about words and the power. And she says, well, do you expect me to be a, a psychologist and be able to psychoanalyze all the children? She saw nothing wrong whatsoever with with words and did not see the power of negative words. But Paul says, let no unwholesome speech come out of your mouth. Now, some might be sitting here saying, well, the best advice then is to take out your pocket knife and... Slice off the tongue. Well, that'll get you... That's half good. But notice the rest of the verse. You put off the old and you put on the new. It's not enough to simply sit around and be silent. He says, but let words come out of your mouth that will be helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And we as Christians need to Have our words be filled with appreciation, with praise, with expressions of affection and and sympathy and caring. Now, we won't get any models for that in television. We need to let the Word of God direct us and let our lives be lived according to this pattern. Deceitful lusts say to you, show how clever you are by how you can put others down. That will build you up. The scriptures say, the truth of God says, show how clever you are by how constructively you can use words to build others up, to do good for them. Well, at this point, some of us are feeling the demands of the new life in Christ are so great. How can I do them? How can I fulfill them? And so Paul interjects a word of reminder about a resource we have. In verse 30, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. God the Holy Spirit lives inside of us. He's here with us all the way to the day of redemption, to the the day when Jesus Christ comes again and we have the fullness of our salvation and the resurrection of our bodies. He's with us all that time, offering His power that we might live the new life. And he feels just like a parent feels when the child uh, is in trouble. The parent says, let me help. The child says, no, I'll do it myself. And then ruins his life. And the parent feels so grieved because the child has foolishly rejected that help that was needed and, and offered. And the Holy Spirit feels the same way. He's there within us saying, let me help. Let me give you the power. And sometimes we foolishly grieve him by saying, no, I want to make a mess of my own life by myself. We foolishly think that we can handle it on our own. And then in verses 31 and 32, Paul gives a final uh, exhortation of putting off and putting on. Verse 31, we have the put off. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Put off that angry, revengeful spirit in your interpersonal relationships. Put off centering your attention and all the wrongs done to you, all the things people have done uh, to you that have been evil. Instead, put on, as we see in verse 32, a spirit of mercy. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as Christ, this is in Christ God forgave you. You and I have sinned against the eternal God, the creator of all the earth, and our sin against him was so serious that he had to send his son to die on the cross. His love was sufficient that he forgave all of our sins in Christ. And he says, follow my pattern. I don't care what anybody's done to you. Even if they've raped you and stolen from you, uh, whatever they've done, it's not been as severe as what you and I have done against God. And yet he's forgiven us. And he calls us to forgive others as well. Let me close with two illustrations of these last verses. The New Life in Christ in Action. Last week we were with the Ropers and we're sharing parenting stories and David told a time when Brian was in uh, sixth grade, I believe it was, and a fellow in the school who was older, who had flunked a couple of grades, was bigger and uh, kind of a a no-good, stole some money and Brian happened to be the one that reported it. And so this guy and his friend grabbed Brian after school behind a 7-Eleven took a bicycle chain put it up to his neck and just beat the life out of him. And then I was wondering uh, David was saying what he was what he was doing in, in situations and I thought now what did he do? Did he call the police or did he go beat the tar out of this guy? And then my you know adrenaline was pumping I was thinking what i do with my own son he said well after the anger calmed he went to the guy and he realized this guy has no father he's from a broken home he's flunked Sixth grade twice, and uh, everything's going wrong for him. And he had compassion. He looked not just at his own need, the need of his to protect his son, but at the need of this this child. And he said, "I went to him and I put my arm around him, nice and tight." And I said, "I." And he said, "Bobby, I love you, but if you do that again, there won't be room for both of us in this town." I thought that's a good, a good illustration of the new life. You know, you, most people would be tempted to go find the guy and beat the kid up. Or uh, a couple weeks ago at the men's Bible study, one of the men shared that, that in his business, a woman that works for him was found to have embezzled a large sum of money. And as I, he was sharing this, I was waiting for him to say, we need to pray for her, she's in prison now. But instead, he said, I went to her and I talked with her about her sin. Her life was messed up. He had received forgiveness from God and he was concerned that she uh, received forgiveness more than about his own money. And he talked with her and eventually she was led to Betty and Betty counseled with her and brought her to Christ. And she has a new life and she's still working there and repaying all the money she embezzled. What a great illustration. I can't promise you that if you put off the old man and put on the new man, then, then, uh, Your situations will work out as as beautifully as that. But what I can tell you is that the world around us is corrupted, is darkened in understanding. God in his love wants us to know the truth. And so he says, live according to the truth. Put off the old life. Be renewed in the spirit of your mind. And put on the new life. And by the power of his spirit, we can live that and we will then experience real joy, real fulfillment. Let us pray. God our Father, we offer you thanks and praise that you care for us, that you guide us through the the maze of, of confusion within this world, that you lead us in paths of truth and righteousness. We thank you for your presence with us We pray, each of us, we stand or sit here before you in need, in need for your direction, for your renewal. Speak to us about the the portions of this passage that we need to assimilate today. We pray for transformed minds and transformed lives by the power of Jesus Christ. We come before you today, not in our own goodness, But in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, we ask these things. Amen.